Well, good morning, church. A couple of things I just want to mention. Um, small group, and I need to bring this out so I don't forget it. Um, I could have just asked Brian to make the announcement. Uh, Brian's small group uh, tonight. Is the furnace working? It wasn't working. Okay. Furnace isn't working, but you got heat. But because the furnace is not working, if those of you go in the Brian's small group tonight at 530, you're not going to his house. You're going to the caller's house right there. Uh, 201 Amber Lane. Everybody write that down. Send all your junk mail there. Uh, a small group at your house tonight behind the funeral home on Airport Highway across from the Assembly of God Church. Bingo. Cool. All right. We got that. I just want to make sure you get in the right place. If you've not gone to a small group yet, you've got tonight, 530. You've got Tuesday night, a couple options there, Thursday night and Saturday morning. Um, the whole purpose is to connect people in the church and to further discuss what we're sharing here on Sunday morning. Just go a little bit deeper. Maybe digest it, share some things. They're like, hey, we didn't talk about this Sunday. Or, hey, can we talk more about that? Uh, this gives you an opportunity to grow more uh, together as a church. So I want to invite you to make sure you are a part of that. If you're doing a new folks lunch uh, right after the church service, um, I'm just going to encourage you to hang out in here. And when we're ready to get that room set up in the big room, we'll open up the doors back here. And if you're here specifically for that lunch, we'll, we'll escort you in that way and help you find your seat. Um, for the rest of you, some of you are like, ah, oh, I've been there before. It's a good thing, right? Um, and for those of you like, what? Um, see me later. We'll get you there somewhere, okay? Um, we are in the book of John. And if you remember, there, there's a few things about the book of John as far as why this book was written. And something we want you to know, and, and again, is that, first of all, that Jesus is the Son of God. And that we may believe in him and that we may bear witness to who he is, is the general theme running through this book. There's a lot of great many themes. These I would call more of a major theme. Um, but as you're reading the book of John, it's almost as if you're reading John's diary or journal, right? Uh, guy's journal. Ladies use diaries, right? Uh, so I don't know if uh, any men in here have ever journaled before, anybody journals. Um, I've not journaled in a while, but I used to do a lot of journaling and writing my thoughts down and, and things. And, and, I, and I pulled out one. I just want to read to you, okay? This is from uh, Tuesday, December 30th, 2003. Do the math. That's quite a few years ago, okay? Well, I'm two days away from a new year, and needless to say, I'm anxious. I'm not sure if my chest hurts from running a couple miles outside in the winter air yesterday or if I'm getting anxious about our future. Almost four weeks ago Sunday, I made the decision to resign from my position at the church, and my hand just cramped up. I actually wrote that. Is this the spiritual battle I'm going to face the next five and a half months? With this decision to resign, I have felt very much at peace. When I sat in church during a song, I prayed and then realized God was urging me to say, it's time. I can't remember which exact seat I was sitting in, but I definitely know where I was sitting the hour and the day. Fifteen years of serving God at our church is coming to an end, like writing the last chapter in a book. A great, a great piece of life is coming to an end. Um, fifteen years, wow, not even a book can contain what's happened in fifteen years. Maybe a trilogy with an extended version would happen. I came home, ate lunch, sat on the couch, did a few routine things that Sunday afternoon. It's sort of a blur, but it's clear when I looked at Jenny on the couch by the window and began that conversation with, it's time. Her response surprised me and put my heart at ease. 
She's ready too. I think God told her long before and began preparing her heart for our departure. Now, when I wrote that, what was it, 16, 15, 16 years ago, um, did not know where I would be today, right? But as I wrote that, I remember that. As, as I opened this up and I started reading it, I go, I remember that moment, exact moment, where I was sitting in the church, what was going on in my heart, that lunch, con- that conversation after lunch, looking at her. She's sitting on the couch, and I remember looking, I say, it, all I said was this, it's time. And her response was, yes. And I was like, what? Uh, she knew. She already knew. She's waiting on me to listen to God. But I remember that so vividly. And why do I share that with you? Because this is what John's doing. When you read here in the book of John, it's like John is journaling. He goes, I remember that moment. Now, I started last week as we were in the book of John chapter 1. I said, John gets to a point where he's like, I'm going to tell you about the first week of Jesus. Day 1, day 2, day 3, right? So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to John chapter 1, verse 35. Because day 1, we met John the Baptist. Day 2... John the Baptist points to Jesus and verbally says, look, the Lamb of God. Day three, John the Baptist again points and declares, look, the Lamb of God. But this time he has a couple of disciples of his own standing there with him when he does this. So again, it's like this this vivid memory. John's writing this down like, I remember what happened. So let's look at verse 35 and see what happens. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, There's the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following and said, What do you want? They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying. And they remained with him the rest of the day. You see what I mean? It's sort of that, it was four o'clock in the afternoon. I'll never forget this. I was writing this down, right? That's what I'm talking about is John is is journaling this right here. And we read that on the third day, John the Baptist again sees Jesus, declares, look, the Lamb of God. But this time he has two others that are standing right there with him, two of his own disciples. One of them is Andrew. His name is listed right here for us to read. We know it's Andrew. But who's the other one? All theologians will basically agree with this point saying it's John, the one who wrote this. And how do we know this? Well, if you look at this, John never names himself in his own book. But the way he writes is one that gives such great detail. You say, this guy was, a, was, a, was an eyewitness to what happened. He bears account to it. I mean, this was obviously, he was right. This is definitely John. He even mentions what time of the day it was. He goes, it's four in the afternoon. He remembers it so vividly. He will never forget the place. He will never forget the time. He will never forget that moment when he first met Jesus. For many of you, it's the same way. You know that first moment you met Jesus. And it changed your life, right? So John again declares here, he says this, he goes, look, the Lamb of God. Now, maybe in your small groups you've talked about this or you will talk about this a little bit more, but this is so important. It's like one of the most important things that John the Baptist could declare about Jesus because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all made mistakes and messed up. Those mistakes are called sin. And sins were confessed as you would grab a lamb and you would take it to the priest, and he would sacrifice it at the temple or at the tabernacle or at the temple, and then you would be forgiven, right? Jesus became the Lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice. No more taking these lambs to the priest. Jesus is the Lamb of God. 
And John points to Jesus and says, this is the Lamb of God right here. And they knew right away what he was talking about. And those two disciples, Andrew and John, did you see what they did? They took off. They, they walked right towards Jesus. It's like, look, the Lamb of God. And they're going. What do you think John the Baptist did? Do you think he was like, hey, where are you, where are you guys going? I'm just pointing them out. I didn't say you had to go follow them, right? No, because we know you are all intelligent people here. You know, if you read last week, what kind of person John the Baptist was. He was a very humble man. He was the voice. He was the one preparing the way. He was the one pointing and verbally calling out, this is Jesus. He was not all about increasing his circle of followers. He was all about Jesus. So when he pointed said, there's the Lamb of God, it was almost like he's directing traffic, like, all right, just keep going. Lamb of God that way, let's just keep moving, right? That was his role. That was his purpose. Verse 38, look at this. Jesus recognizes that these men are following. And like anybody, especially ladies, if you've been somewhere like at night uh, at a big store, maybe in in, uh, Toledo somewhere um, where there's a lot more activity going on, and you're walking, you realize somebody's following you or behind you, you start getting creeped out, right? Jesus walking, this is what? Jesus realizes that he's being followed, and he turns around. And in these words, there's what? He goes, what do you want? Isn't that what you do? If you're walking, he's like, all right, these guys, are, they're, they're on my tail. They're following me. Like, what do you want? Right? You want to know. They're, they're following you, right? When you think about what he just said, what do you think their response is going to be? Jesus looks at you and he goes, what do you want? What do you say? Do you start with, well, John the Baptist, we're, he says, you're the Lamb of God. Are you the Lamb of God? Was that going on in their mind? Were they, were they ready to say? But you think about this. Jesus will ask that same question of you and I. What do you want? All humanity has to answer that question. What do you want in life? What is it that you're seeking? Church, what do you want in life? You want happiness? Oh, I just want my kids to be happy. You want success? I just want to win. You want promotion and and great things to happen at work. You want all these things, right? Here's the thing. If that's what you want, Jesus is going to say, then you probably shouldn't follow me. Because I'm not promising you happiness. I'm not promising you success. I'm not promising you a promotion. I'm not promising you wealth. Jesus didn't promise those things. But if we were to say, he looks at us and goes, what do you want? And I'd say, I need forgiveness of my sins. I'd like a life without regret. I would like to have eternal security. I'd like to have peace. I would like to have victory over sin. I would like to have wisdom and guidance for my life. Or if you're like me and you turn on the morning news and after about five, ten minutes, you're turning off and say, all I want is hope. I feel like I'm living in a hopeless world right now. If that's what you would say to Jesus, Jesus would say, then follow me. If that's what you're looking for, then follow me. But these, these two men, they didn't reply. Do you see what they did? What do you want? What do they do? They ask another question. They ask a question. They're like, where are you staying? Where are you staying? So we went, what do you want to where are you staying? 
In other words, they're like, hey, we want to hang out with you. We want to get to know you a little bit more. We, we've got some things we want to talk about. So is it okay if we sort of go whatever direction you're going? And, and Jesus didn't give them a specific answer, does he? He gives them an invitation. He's like, come and see. Can you imagine this conversation? Hey, what do you want? Where are you going? Come and see. All right. It's like, what just happened? Right? We sort of take that all for granted, what was going on in that whole situation. But he's inviting them to discover something. Why don't you come find out? Yeah, come and see. I'm going to invite you to do this. That's all Jesus ever did, right? He didn't just sit people down and say, let me tell you about what I'm going to teach and preach. He's like, why don't you come hang out with me? Why don't you come walk with me? Hey, let me feed you a meal. Watch how I can take care of this sickness. So from 4 o'clock on that day, they hung out with Jesus. Again, if, if you were writing this in your journal, you'd be opening up and you'd be going there going, four o'clock today, I met Jesus. Andrew and I went and hung out with Jesus. Now what John does, he sort of closes his book there and says, I'm not going to tell you about the conversation. It got really personal. I'm different. I am different. That's what we do know. We don't know what the conversation was. Look at verse 40. All we know is that that day changed their lives. Verse 40 says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother, Simon, and told him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John. You'll be called Cephas, which means Peter, stone, rock. So Andrew and and John spend this whole day with Jesus. From 4 o'clock on, they're with him. We don't know the conversation. We just know they are different. And here's something we just need to remember this, church. You need to understand this. Spending time with Jesus will change you. It will fire you up. Some of you know this more than others. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you spent 24 hours with Jesus? I'm going to guess the percentages might be pretty small for all of us, right? I can't even raise my hand on that. I've not spent a, a direct 24 hours in prayer, reading, worship, just, just soaking in the presence of God. I can't even say that, that I've done a 24-hour thing here lately. But I do know this. When I go on a mission trip, when I go on a workshop or a retreat, like many of you have done, you come back what? You come back pretty fired up. Because you spent time with Jesus and it changed you. You're like, I can't wait to go back to that retreat again. I can't wait to go back to the mission field. I can't wait to go back to that experience. Because you met Jesus and it changed you. You had a concentrated, extended period of time with Jesus. And whenever you do that, it will change you. Andrew, was he was all in. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm so fired up right now. And if, if you read and if you read through this book, here's the thing. You don't hear about Andrew much. He's excited. And how much do you read about Andrew in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? Not much. You might see him two, three. If you're lucky, you might find him a fourth time, right? Specifically called out by name. And the times that Andrew is mentioned, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. First time, he's bringing his brother. Next time you read about him, Jesus is about ready to feed over 5,000 people. 5,000 men, women, and children. We don't know. They didn't list them, so it could have been 12,000 people. They don't have any food, nowhere to go. Jesus is like, all right, disciples, you're going to feed them. Like, what? Andrew's like, I got this. He goes out and he brings in this little kid, a couple pieces of fish and bread. 
I got somebody. See, Andrew's always bringing somebody to Jesus. No matter if they had nothing or something, he always brought them to Jesus, and Jesus changed whatever was going on in their life. He changed Peter. He changed what that boy had and fed over 12,000 people. For Andrew, this is where it all began. Home. He went to his home, his own family. What mattered most to Andrew was family. So he went to Simon Peter, his brother. That's how it often works in our faith. Many of you are here today because a family member invited you to come. And then you invited a family member to come. And next thing you know, your whole family has come. Maybe cousins have come. For some of you, that's how it works. Some of you are like, I, just come and see. Just come and see what's going on. And, and your life has been encouraged and changed. And that's natural because it's the nature of the Christian experience that those who enjoy that experience, these are that everybody else around you experiences that same thing. And so you invite family. Um, back when I first moved here in 1989, the church I came to had the church directory, right? So this is a, a copy of one of the pages. Um, this is, a, this is I'll call this the clean directory, okay? What I mean by that is it's not been marked in, Okay. Now, as you can look on there, if that page is full of roops or rups, whichever one you're going with. I'm not sure, okay? Um, but they're all, a lot of them are all related. Now, I'm showing you this page, too, because here's what happened. The pastor's, uh, the senior pastor's wife gave Jenny and I, actually gave me, we weren't even married at that time, I didn't even know her, um, gave me a directory, and there was like one line going to one picture, and the line going over to another picture says, see page three, you flip it over, oh, and then it's like, what she did was she connected all the dots for me. This person is so-and-so's cousin. This is so-and-so's brother-in-law. This person is, they were all, re- I'm looking through. These people are all related. I'm so thankful for that because I would have been the guy who would have walked in and was like, man, did you hear about, you know, so-and-so? <laughs> I can't believe them. They're like, that's my sister-in-law. Oh, I knew that. Um, she's wonderful. God bless her. Um, so many people in the church related, right? And that's something we got to be careful about is that it's so awesome because I would notice this after church that first couple of years. Church is over, amen. Everybody gets up and there's clusters. This family and this family, they're all figuring out where they're going out to eat, right? Which was cool to see family at church, but the scary thing is you can become very cliquish and you forget about people who are not related to anybody in the church and they feel left out. So that was sort of a dangerous thing too to be aware of. But I thought about that more and more. It's like, family, that's one of the most important places to start sharing your faith. How many of us have gone on to a mission field? I've been to the Dominican Republic seven times. I've been on multiple Indian reservations. I've been on inner city uh, uh, mission trips. And here's the thing. It's exciting to do mission trips. It's exciting to leave town and go share your faith somewhere else, right? We get fired up or we'll raise money to do that. And we neglect our backyard, our own family, our own schools, where people need Jesus just as much. So it's important to look not just beyond, but to start right at your family and say, right here at home, who needs Jesus? Some of you might be in here today without a family member. You've got somebody at home and they just didn't want to come. Their excuses might be legit or they just want to make sure they don't, they, don't, they don't want to partake right now. The one you love the most, you want to see them in heaven. I get that. I want to see them in heaven too. 
that's bothering you that they don't want to be involved. And I'll just say this, this should be, that should be your number one, one of your number one prayer requests. And don't, don't be ashamed to share that with others. Just to pray for so-and-so. I just, I just want them to know Jesus. I want them to come and worship with me on Sundays. That's okay. Because we want to pray with you on that same prayer request. The ones you love the most, you want them here. We do too. Andrew gets Simon Peter, uh, and he gets Simon, he brings him in, and he goes, I found the Messiah. He's excited about it. It was a simple, yet it was a great testimony that I have found him. We, we found him. We, we know who he is. He knew who the Messiah was, that long-expected Savior of Israel, the one who would save the world. And he says, I've, I've met someone who's changed my life. I want you to meet him too. That's a simple testimony, church. You don't have to be eloquent with your words. You don't have to be a deep theologian just taking the Bible and pulling it apart. All you have to do is say, I've met somebody who's changed my life, and I want you to meet him too. And that's what he did. Jesus meets Simon, and I love this. The first thing he does, you see what he did? He changed his name. He gave him a new name, Cephas, or, or Peter, which means a stone, a rock. Think about this. That seems really odd, right? Oh, your name's Simon? I'm going to change it to Rocky. I like that. Rock. Solid. Strong. Foundational. And then we're like, Peter? Uh, Simon Peter? The one who was in the boat during the storm, and, and Jesus comes walking on the water. He's like, can I walk on water too? And Jesus like, come on out. He's like, I'm out. And he's walking, and he takes his eyes off Jesus, and he starts to sink like a rock. Maybe that's why Jesus called him rock, because you're going to sink in your faith, right? Wait, wait, the same Peter who in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the soldiers came, he pulled out a sword and whacked off the temple guard's ear. And Jesus like, put the sword away, Peter. The same Peter who then ran and denied Jesus three times, that same Peter? Yes, 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 yeah. That's that, that foundational Peter, yes. Let me remind you this. Jesus looked at him and didn't change his name because he goes, you look like a rock. But he looked at him and said, this is what you're going to become. As you hang out with me, your life is going to be transformed. It's going to be changed. And you will be a rock. The Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 and 18, Simon Peter said this. And this, to give you background on this, Jesus had been asking people, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And, and the disciples like, well, some say you're Elijah the prophet and so forth and so on. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter steps up and he goes, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. He first heard about that from Andrew, his brother. And now he's proclaiming it to be true. He says, Jesus replied, you're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. That didn't come from Andrew. That came from my spirit working in you. For my heavenly Father has told you this. Now look at verse 18. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. The church foundationally was started through Peter and these uh, disciples. Jesus said, I'm building it on you. See what happened in those couple years? His life was transformed. When you meet with Jesus for an extended period of time, he will change you. And he will transform you. His spirit will work through you. Church, I want to remind you, that is incredible truth. Meet with him. Because when you do, he will transform your life if you let him. Look at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, found Philip, and said to him, Come follow me. 
Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. So day four, Simon Peter meets Jesus. Day five in the Journal of John, Philip meets Jesus, or maybe we should say Jesus meets Philip. Because we've, you have to understand, we in John, we don't have the full story, so we go back to Matthew, Mark, and Luke and think, wait, did these guys, any of them know Jesus prior to this? Yes. Some of the disciples had ran into Jesus prior to that. They weren't following him at the time. They had maybe met Jesus, saw Jesus from a distance, or maybe heard him somewhere. Nothing dramatically recorded about this call of Philip. Philip had maybe seen Jesus before. Jesus just simply said, come follow me. Philip's like, all right, I'm in. And you have to understand, when he said follow me, it just wasn't one, hey, why don't you follow me for the next couple hours? This was a, the verb tense and the usage of this Greek word means to continually follow. Continually follow. Not when life is good, church. Life is good. I love Jesus. But when life goes bad, I don't need that Jesus stuff right now. It's like, no, no, you keep following him even when it's bad. You don't just follow Jesus when it's convenient. You follow Jesus all the time. And when you trip and you fall down and you mess up and you make a mistake, you get back up and you keep following Jesus. That's what he is saying here. I don't want you to just follow me once. I want you to continually follow me. So Philip's like, I'm in. I'm following you. I will follow you. I will not stop. I will continually follow you. And then what does Philip do? He goes outside the family. He reaches a friend, Nathaniel. Look at verse 45. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, We found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael, Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied as they approached. Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Nathanael's like, How do you know about me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? You're going to see greater things than this. And then he said, I tell you the truth, you will also see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. That verse alone is a sermon itself. We won't get there, but it's packed with such truth. But what Philip does here, he goes down to his friend Nathaniel. I said, hey, buddy, co-worker, friend. You knew him somehow. His testimony was about Jesus Christ. He says, you know what? I've met the Messiah. You know the one predicted about in the Old Testament Moses wrote about? You've read that before because Nathaniel, I know you opened up the scriptures. I know you know this, right? Nathaniel's like, a very prejudiced comment, by the way. He's like, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Archibald? Can anything good come from Pettisville? Delta? Wasion? Can anything good come from Wasion? Tedro? Anybody hear from Tedro? See, something good comes from Tedro. Awesome. Roger. I learned something new about Roger today. That's good. When you think about this, I mean, he was like, that was his response. And the thing is like, really? Like, what good can come from there? What was Philip's reply? Well, let me tell you what's so good about Tedro. Roger's from there. Oh, well then, yeah, no. He didn't do that. He goes, what's so good about that? Philip's like, come and see. Again, no major argument. 
no, let me search through everything and just explain it all because I've got all the answers. Like, I, just come and see. Just come and see. We can become so tongue-tied sometimes as Christians. We're like, I've got to have the answer. I've got to have the answer. It's like, no, just invite people to come and see Jesus. Remember, people are naturally going to reject or question who Jesus Christ is. The first time you ask somebody to come to church or meet Jesus, their, their natural response is probably going to be, no. It, why is that? Go back to John chapter 1, verses 10 to 11, when it says this. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and they rejected him. John tells us from the very outstart, hey, Jesus came here to the world he created, and then no, and they rejected him. So should we expect any difference today? Listen, again, we don't have to have all the answers. Just invite them to Jesus. And here's the first thing that um, Jesus does when he runs into Nathaniel. So Nathaniel's like, all right, I'll come and see. So Philip and Nathaniel, you can sort of picture them walking up to Jesus. And from a distance, Jesus sees them. And, and he looks at him and he goes, ah, son of Israel, a man full of integrity. And it's to you and I, it's like, yeah, what? To start off with somebody you've never met before, and they look at you, and they compliment you, and it was a huge compliment. The whole thing of, of being uh, complete integrity, that word that is used there, if you're, if you're in here and you like to fish, okay, you know what you put on the end of that hook, right? Bait. You're trying to fake out that fish. You're trying to trick that fish to get on your hook so you can catch it, right? That's the word that's being used here in Jesus. Look, here's, here's one who has no trickery about him. He's very genuine, full of integrity. And Nathaniel's probably like sort of you know, raising an eyebrow and going, all right, how do you know about me? So he poses the question, what does Jesus say? He goes, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. And he's like, whoa, whoa. Now for us, we're like, what does that mean? Like Jesus had a dream and he saw Nathaniel sitting under a fig tree. That phrase was often used by the rabbis, meaning that if you were under the fig tree, that meant like you were having a time of meditation and you were reading scriptures. You were, you were spending time alone with God worshiping. It's like for us, it'd be like us having a quiet time, okay, where we've opened up our Bibles and we're reading and having a quiet time. So can you imagine if like, you're having a quiet time at home and then somebody's like, hey, why don't you come see Jesus? And like, yeah, that long way to Messiah, whatever. And you run into him and goes, I saw you today when you had your Bible open. You're reading from the Galatians chapter 2. I saw what you journaled. Okay, what would you be doing right now? You're like, what? That's Nathaniel. Okay, just to give you sort of a feeling of the context here. And he was amazed by what Jesus had already saw in him. And there's like, and Jesus like, whoa, whoa, wait. You're saying, you're saying that you're believing in me just because I said that? Oh, you're going to see greater things. You are going to see so much great things. Church, I'm going to tell you right now, when Christ steps into your life, you do see amazing things. And I, and I believe this. I believe you will continue to see God do amazing things in your life. I'm not talking about the parting of a Red Sea or feeding 5, 10,000, 12,000 people. But I, I, I believe this. God does miraculous things. And he will change your life. And as a Christian, as you grow in your faith, you will see this happen. So let's, let's review this real quick, what's happened here. Four different ways that the first, you know, these, as you're like looking through the journal of, of John here and you're reading, it's like, okay, so day one, John the Baptist, you know, he's going on. Day, you know, we see that Andrew came to Jesus, what? Because of the preaching of John, right? Well, then Peter came to Jesus because of the witness of his brother, there's family. Philip came to Jesus as a result of the direct call of Jesus. Basically, Jesus called him out and said, I want you to follow me. And he's like, I'm in. 
And then Nathaniel comes to Jesus because he already had to come his prejudices and his pride, right? But he came because of a friend's invite. You see what's going on here? We all come to Jesus in a different way. Some of you are here, or you came to know Jesus because of a family member, a friend. Maybe Jesus got a hold of you somewhere silently and changed your life. Different ways and different testifying uh, testimonies here of how people met Jesus. Let me ask you this. This might be something for each of you to share in your small groups or some of you. How did you meet Jesus? When did you first come to know Jesus? I mean, I met Jesus as a result of family. My brother told me I was going to burn. You know? You know where, okay? And my mom was like, no, she didn't do that, but she should have. But anyway, my mom prayed with me. It was through family that I came to know Jesus. But it was through the church that I grew more. It was at a camp that I had a life-changing experience at a camp. And it seems like along my life there have been multiple places and times when Jesus has met me and said, it's time to grow some more. It's time to grow some more. Where did you first meet Jesus? How have you come to grow in your life? Where did you encounter him? Church, I want to encourage you today. Let's wrap it up with three things real quick. First of all, I want to encourage you. Spend time with Jesus. An extended period of time. Spend it with him. You'll not regret it. You're not going to walk out of there. That was a waste of 30 minutes. I've never seen anybody do that. If you came last uh, Sunday night to the the worship uh, uh, service that took place, a night of worship here, um, I didn't see one person walk out saying, oh, I could have spent my Sunday night a better way. Everybody that walked out of here was like, we want more. See, when you spend time with Jesus, you're going to want more. You're going to want more. Here's the second thing I want to challenge you with. Bring others to Jesus. Listen, you eat at a great restaurant, you're going to tell people about it, aren't you? you? You read a good book, you watch a great movie, you're going to share that with people. Oh, I just saw this. Yeah, you need to see it. You need to read this, right? You watch a great game, and he's like, man, I just saw this great game. You're telling people about it, you know? Last night, man, there's a, there's a nail-biter game last night. It's like, I'm telling people about it, right? Or you're hopping on social media, and you're sharing somebody's post, because it's all, oh, you got to read this, right? What about Jesus? Who are you sharing him with? It's the biggest change in our life. And we talk about our restaurant more than we talk about Jesus. I want to encourage you. Share him. Who are you sharing the truth of Jesus Christ with? And you're like, I don't know how. Then just be an Andrew. Just say, hey, come and see. You, you be the biggest Andrew there is in town. And you just, just bring people. I, I don't know how, but come to our small group. Come to, come to West. Come to East. Those are men's and women's groups for those of you that are visiting. Come to, come to church on Sunday. Come to this next event. Just be a big Andrew, okay? And here's how you do it. There needs to be change in your life first. You cannot be an effective witness for Jesus Christ if you're not following Jesus Christ. People are not going to listen to you when you say, oh, you need Jesus in your life, and then you got things coming out of your mouth, and you're acting a certain way, and they're like, that's what a Christian is like? But I don't want your Jesus. So we need to make sure our own personal lives are, are, are in a way that's being obedient to what God's asking us to do and living a life that is a holy life. And again, we need to be willing to let Jesus meet with people. Well, I've got to win them over. I've got to win this argument. They need to know Jesus. They need to come to church. That's not your job. Invite, invite, invite. Let the Holy Spirit do the work in their heart. Let Jesus do the saving. You are not a savior. You are not the Holy Spirit. You are not God the Father who knows all things. God knows what's going on. 
Jesus will save them. His Holy Spirit will convict them. You just be the voice and the vessel to them that God loves them. And you keep inviting them. You keep inviting them. Worship team, would you come forward, please? Third and final thing is this. Let Jesus transform you. Let him change you. Jesus would work in the life of Simon Peter over his time. His life would be transformed. And here's the thing, church. When you meet Jesus, get ready. He'll want to start transforming your life immediately. We've got to learn to let go of certain things that we like hold on to and it keeps us from journeying. It takes time. It isn't like I, I gave my life to Jesus, I prayed that prayer, and I believe in my heart, and now I'm... That might not happen immediately. Oh, there's, there's change that just took place in you, absolutely. But some of the other stuff, that growth that comes, that's, that's called growth. It takes time. And he will transform you. I love looking into the book of John. Like I said, it's, it's, it's opening up the journal. And I went back and I looked over my journal. I found a couple other, other pages. October 1st, 2004. We had victory this past week against Archibald. First time in nine years, I'm told. This was when I was coaching high school volleyball. Even with the victory, there's still a sense of dissatisfaction with players and parents. I don't get it. We were rated to be very low. A 500 season expectation. Here we are. We're 11 and 5, 4 and 1, league position, ready to win the league for the first time in 11 years. And I'm more unhappy than ever before. Why do people equate playing time with success? Everyone wants the coach to be fair. Everyone wants to win. Everyone, and I went and I just, I just ranted for a few pages. <laughs> and then I read this. You've given me something I don't deserve, God, and that's called grace. As a coach, none of my deserve, players deserve to play the game. They do. It, it's a gift. It's called grace. And I don't deserve the life I've got. It's called grace. And then I went in more to sort of share what God was doing on my heart. When I look back at some of these things I've entered in here and shared, it's like God was working on me. He still is. There's no end of the book for me right yet. I mean, there's, there's still more transformation. And I want to share this with you. He's doing the same with you. He wants to transform you. Do not be content where you are. Let him transform you. And along the process, keep inviting people to come with you. Invite people to come with you. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome God you are. I thank you, Lord, that we can look into your word today and see what John wrote and how it was so personal to him. At 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I met with Jesus. It changed me forever. Oh, man, Andrew, he's grabbing his brother. Philip, Nathaniel. Man, they started coming too. I've got some new friends. I've got some new family. Man, Jesus is changing us. We still mess up, but he's changing us. Thank you, God, for these words that we can read. Lord, I pray that as we read this, it inspires us, reminds us to be like Andrew. To spend some time with you. To be like John. Just spend that extended time with you. And then to invite our family, to invite our friends to come meet you. And then to be willing and open for transformation to take place. God, what an awesome God you are. Work in our lives, God. Work in our lives. Lord, today we there might be somebody in this room that's like, oh, yeah, well, this is my first time here. 
I've never really met Jesus, then let it be today. Lord, let us come to you. Lord, we admit we are all in this room. We're all sinners. We've all messed up. We've all made mistakes. And God, we need to come to you and ask for forgiveness. We need to come to you and and ask you to take away these, these sins. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, for the ultimate sacrifice so that we could have new life in you. God, forgive us of our sins. We pray that. Forgive us of our sins. Cleanse us. Be our Savior. We confess with our mouths. We believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, we ask that you not only forgive us now, but help us now to live for you. Be our Lord. Lord, let this be our prayer to you this morning. Let's come to you. Work in our lives, Lord. Let's encounter you today. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.